Welcome to the What's Your Ceiling podcast. We're your hosts, Monty Wyatt and Paul Szczynski. Wherever you are in life, there is a higher ceiling. This podcast is how you become aware of it and how to take action to push through it. I'm Monty Wyatt, best-selling author of Pulling Profits Out of a Hat and CEO of Adding Zeros Executive Development. I grew up on a family farm in Iowa and have gone from sowing corn to sowing seeds of success throughout the world, leading, managing, and training teams. With me is Paul Szczynski, entrepreneur and investor who also grew up on a family farm here in Iowa. We believe every organization and person can be intentional in how they lead, influence, and manage their lives and businesses. What's Your Ceiling is for professionals, managers, executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to achieve more in their health, family, and business by breaking through their ceiling. Every episode will give you real-world, easy-to-implement solutions so that you can be more aware and take action to reach new heights. It's time to discover your ceiling. Welcome to What's Your Ceiling podcast, where we talk about your health, family, and business. We're going to have a fantastic show today. It's an honor to have our guest with us. I'm Monty Wyatt. I'm Paul Szczynski. And Paul, if you would, introduce our guest today. Man, we got a great guest today, folks. The gentleman we have here today is going to educate us on the biofuels from the state of Iowa, graduate of Dowling High School. He, uh, his father, a lot of people out there probably know him, Terry Branstead, longest serving not only in the state of Iowa as a governor, but also in the United States. He went on to be the ambassador uh, in China under the Trump administration, and uh, he's always had great relationships with China. But we have here his son, Eric Branstead, and I want to welcome Eric here. Thanks for coming and joining us for this podcast. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here. And we're really excited about the biofuels. I think that's something a lot of people out there don't quite understand how that works, but uh, we're going to talk about that. Bonnie. Absolutely. We're going to talk about a number of things today, and I'm looking forward to it. We always like to start our shows with a, a topic, and I know with all of your experience, this topic should fit very well. Our topic for our achiever out there, our audience is called The Achiever, and uh, our topic is influencing influencers. You know, Paul, when I say that phrase, influencing influencers, what comes to mind to you and what does that look like for you? Well, I th it looks like where you have a group of leaders that uh, have an influence not only on the general population, but when you get a combined group of leaders together, it's what you call people that influence the leaders. And we have one here today. He's been a leader in the, in the state of Iowa actually around the world and served on the Trump administration, but he's been definitely an influencer among influencer. Eric, how about you? When you, you think of uh, that phrase, influencing influencers, what does that mean to you and, and what's that look like? Actually, it sounds really cool. <laughs> it makes me look really big. <laughs> uh, you know, in reality, it's, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate to, you know, have, have grown up alongside and watching my dad and, and his success. And I have, you know, through college and through all of the work that I've done, uh, you know, since I got my first campaign was the Bush campaign in 2004, and uh, Bush had lost Iowa in 2000, and I was bound and determined to never be undefeated like my dad and never lose a campaign. And uh, I was confident that we could win Iowa. We had lost mm -hmm. Iowa by 2,144 votes mm -hmm. in 2000, and we were going to do that again. And we ended up winning Iowa in 2004 by... Uh, 10,000 votes. So. Oh, wow. 
So uh, I'm undefeated in presidential politics now three times. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, influencing influencers, it's about knowledge. It's about education. It's about guiding people down to understand information. And uh, just hearing some of your stories before we, we got on the show here, you help people see things by educating. And so, you know, I, I, I want to hear what's, what's the biggest trait that you would say an influencer has? You know, I think, uh, well, first, you know, my dad taught me a lesson when I was really young, and that is uh, to never burn any bridges. Your enemies today might be your friends tomorrow. So it's always important to be able to, you know, act at a level and respect at a level mm -hmm. of which you can always, you're not, you're not making enemies. You always want to, uh, you always want to act appropriately and you want to be disciplined and you don't want to do anything certainly to hurt feelings or cause grudges. I love that. You, you kind of phrased it earlier, you know, you're, you're playing the long game yeah. because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You, you got to have that relationship. And politics, trust me, in 10 years, it's a completely different game. In one year, it's a completely different game. And as I was describing earlier, if this was, uh, the, you know, the way we're talking about the, uh, you know, the top presidential prospects of, of the next cycle, uh, if we rewound to eight years ago right now, we would be talking about Scott Walker being president, guaranteed being president, and we would be putting all of our money on Scott Walker to be president. So uh, it's always important to recognize, too, that things change very quickly, and you never know at the end of the day what's going to be happening tomorrow. And so you've got to build the relationships, keep the relationships, and, and show respect, most importantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to have you, you start with your story. I know your, your, your father was in politics. How did you get into the politics? How did you get into the scene? So actually my friend, John Pence, who's representative from Indiana, Pence's son, uh, vice president Pence's nephew. Uh, we always talk about being SOBs. <laughs> it's not what it means. Not what it sounds like, <laughs> which means son of a boss, you know, or, you know, always kind of being in the shadow of, of a father or, you know, family member that's, that's been ex extremely successful and also dealing with that personally. Uh, and then, you know, working with that. So growing up in politics, I wanted nothing to do with politics. Mm -hmm. In fact, I wanted to be far away. So when I was at Rockhurst university, I was, a a communications, I wanted to be in, I actually wanted to be a journalist. That's what I wanted to be then. So what turned the corner? You didn't want to be in politics. So I didn't want to be in politics at the time. I wanted to be a journalist. So I, uh, I, I did a college internship for talk radio news service in Washington, DC in 98. And a month after I got there, guess what happened? The Monica Lewinsky scandal. And all of a sudden my little talk radio news outfit was uh, now Washington correspondents to places all over the world asking what's going on. And uh, it was a really wild time to be there. And I really uh, earned my chops real quick, kind of being tossed into a really heavy journalism environment. And I was there, I ended up staying past my internship and working through the summer and through the impeachment process through the fall. So it was a, certainly a learning experience and getting able to live in DC and uh, experienced DC, which I'd never done before. It was an amazing opportunity at just the right time in my life. And that kind of got me also focused on uh, where my cares were politically. And I was able to finally kind of mm -hmm. become a 
political myself, not just in my dad's shadow, uh, mm -hmm. but be able to do my own thing and, uh, and work hard. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. You know, uh, Paul, our, our guest Eric has, has been around in a, a number of different scenarios. Tell us uh, a little bit about your relationships uh, during the Trump administration and how you influenced uh, during that time, whether it's during the administration or even the, during the election time frame, because again, the influencing no. the influencers. Well, it was it was fantastic because you know for the general campaign in 2016, I got to do I got to be the state director in Iowa, and I got to do a lot of work in Wisconsin too. And uh, so, and then coming off of a big you know surprise win, if you were asked to go, I always knew we were going to win, but <laughs> the rest of the country and certainly the national media didn't think we were going to win. In fact. Going into headquarters on election day in 2016, if you're watching any news station, and I'm having a meeting with my staff, if you're watching any news station, they have every map on how bad we were going to lose. Hmm. Every single map said how bad we were going to lose. And I had to tell my staff, we're not going to lose. And they're like, <laughs> uh, well, Eric, you know, we might lose. Everyone's saying we're going to lose. But the reality is uh, that we worked really hard. We made it happen, and um, we had an amazing election night. It was almost unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, two days later, I'm heading to Washington, D.C. to lead the inaugural, uh, and my position was to lead all of the governors who were coming to the inaugural. I was in charge of all the governors, which is when you're dealing with securities and hotels and events and tickets and all that stuff. That's a very big job and yes, big is. staffs. And you've got to figure out who's coming and when they're coming and uh, how they're getting to each of these places because Washington, D.C. literally closes down during the, right. or during the inaugural. Yeah, what a, what a uh, responsibility to have at that time. But obviously you had the credentials and the relationships. I, well, I, I, was, <laughs> I, I had to get it done. And as my yeah. wife has taught me uh, always, and we teach our kids, it's about problem-solving skills. You know, at the end of the day, I think that's really what life is about is, you know, your day, your hour, your minutes are sometimes filled with problems, and it's just how you deal with them right. and how you're able to respond to them and, and, and hopefully fix them. You grew, you grew up with a great family, a good foundation there. Now, obviously, I think a lot of people want to know is what was it like to work day to day with President Donald Trump? I mean, how was that? So, you know, the mainstream media and it seems uh, everyone else tries to turn him into a monster and he couldn't be more of the opposite. As I was telling you guys before, he remembers every conversation we've ever had. And that mm -hmm. takes a special talent and that takes a special person in order to do that. It does. Mm -hmm. And I saw a movement in 2016 I had never seen in a lifetime of politics. I had never seen a movement of people, many of which had never been involved in politics. Uh, as, as an example, here in Iowa, Eastern Iowa, it was always, Iowa was always, Eastern Iowa was the Democrat working class part of the state. Central Iowa was kind of the middle, and really 50-50, and Western Iowa was always the conservative Republican side. Now, Eastern Bloc and Western Bloc are both conservative. And it was Donald Trump that did that in 2016, where he had a message for the working class people of Iowa and our working men and women across the state. And that message was, I'm here for you, I'm listening to you, and I want to make America first again. And that resonated, and uh, it's it certainly uh, you know put us on the momentum to where you know we won and we were able to accomplish things uh, in in his term that uh, 
I didn't think we could accomplish and certainly in the time that we were able to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. I think people were ready for change and and they got it. He, they got it. Donald Trump showed us <laughs> They got it. They did. We're going to circle back to that the end of our podcast, but let's talk a little bit about, about, you know, right now, I know your mission right now is to educate people in uh, the biofuels. And a lot of people, it's kind of a, in my opinion, I mean, I think it's a great thing for agriculture, um, um, but I think a lot of people are uneducated. They don't know exactly uh, how it works and what the benefits. So I think we'd love to hear it from you. I think there's not anybody that knows it better than you. And you're working with, I think, uh, ethanol producers all over the Midwest. So if you could kind of give us a- So actually to give you even a little more background than I have, in 2012, I ran Iowans Fueled with Pride, which was a very small project for the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. And that was really focused on getting out there and talking to all of the Republican candidates at the time about how important ethanol and biofuels are to Iowa, how the industry has developed, the efficiencies, value-added agriculture, all those things in one. I did in 2012 on a very small budget, and I had just opened up my own firm, and it was just me going out and doing these things. So putting the miles on the car and, and traveling the state. And the day after the caucus in 2012, the Des Moines Register front page was ethanol wins the Iowa caucus. <laughs> so whatever I did was right. <laughs> uh, and then I, I took that article and I saved that article when the industry came back to me in 2015 and said, uh, we want to look at doing something like this again, teaching all of the presidential candidates. And that caucus was, was both Republicans and Democrats. And I made a commitment to educate and talk to everybody no biases, no anything. We just wanted to teach everybody about value-added agriculture. And when I say value-added agriculture, what I was teaching these presidential candidates is when we farm a bushel out of our fields, we take that kernel from that cob and we put that into an ethanol plant. Now it comes out, instead of just feeding it to a cow, and there it goes, now we feed it into the ethanol plant and it comes out eight different products. It comes out in the, uh, the Gatorade that I drank at tennis this morning. That was from the ADM plant in Clinton, Iowa, from the corn syrup from that plant. Uh, the DDGs are now pelletized and you know, given as high-protein high feed for all of livestock. We're making fuel. We're making other petroleums and plastics and all kinds of stuff out of this one single kernel. And if it were to go in, if we were to feed it to the pig, then... That's it. <laughs> it's gone. Mm -hmm. And in uh, so value-added agriculture, it's important to teach uh, what that is and what that looks like now. And as fortunately, uh, we were extremely successful in 2012, especially successful in 2016. And uh, I look for, and we're in a different world and different environment than certainly then now. Uh, where we're much more in electric cars, and it's not the oil versus biofuels war that has been going on for the last two decades. We've got, you know, ethanol is high octane, and we are now making jet fuel out of ethanol, and we're all of these, our future is really, really bright. Mm. And that's exactly what I want to show and teach all of these candidates. Well, well, I think also, Eric, you know, kick any business or, or fuel like this, it takes a little bit of government support to get it kicked off. And I think a lot of people out there ask, you know, 
there's also a tipping point where it gets you get over that. Right. And I think that's where you're working towards, but you still get some support from the government. And, so we, and so, you know, we got subsidies, I think, in, up through 2012, mm-hmm. and those ended. Don't quote me on that exact year, yeah. but I'm pretty accurate that that's 2012. Subsidies stopped, and then the RFS, the Renewable Fuel Standard, the mandate, and I don't like to use that word, but is has has influenced or has has helped the industry grow and become you know the market force that it is mm-hmm. and now i think with it's the oxygen in it for the fuel it's the high octane because you know i drive now i drive a car where i have to use premium gasoline or a 91 octane mm-hmm. minimum there's other cars that where you need a 93 octane minimum these days mm-hmm. and so with how we are tuning engines in order to not have to use cylinders and gas now we're able to tune these engines and utilize those turbos and utilize that to where we don't have to use that much gas and it's only getting better and better each day so the ethanol let's talk about this a little bit okay the main thing that that we have with is carbon Mm -hmm. you know that's a bad thing we want to try to get that under control it's it's uh kind of give the the bad things about carbon and then what can we do with it yeah so this is where we come into the uh carbon sequestration you know, I wrote an op-ed for dad when we were first talking about this and I didn't, I didn't want to use the word pipeline because it's just the bad connotation. When you think pipeline, you think, you think crude oil just spilling out over everything. It's a tube. (laughs) Okay. I like to call it a carbon tube. Uh, But so, so what, what we're talking about here is these ethanol plants, fertilizer plants, any heavy emitter of carbon into the atmosphere what we're going to be doing with that carbon that has been going into the air, we're going to be taking, instead of it going into the air, liquefying that and putting it in the carbon tube and sending that to the caves deep two miles beneath the surface in North Dakota, where, the, where that can be safely sequestered and stored until we need to use it again. And I have been told from my friends in the industry, and I'm curious what other scientists are out there, we're looking at 10 to 20 years of being able to use those molecules that we're storing down there that's waste currently. We're going to be able to heat our homes or do all kinds of things and recycle those again. Okay. Let me try, help me visualize, Eric. Yeah. Uh, the carbon. Well, I, I'm taking the carbon from the ethanol. So, so where, where are we taking so, this carbon? So let's actually let's start, start from that. the beginning. Yeah, so as, as we're growing the corn, the corn is, is using the carbon as fuel to grow. Then when we harvest... And we put that corn into an ethanol plant and it is created. And then that kernel and those kernels, and those cobs are created into eight different products of which all of the waste to make all of those eight products that would have gone into the atmosphere. Instead of going into the atmosphere, they are being liquefied and they're put in a tube and safely sequestered so that they're not, they're not going into our atmosphere. They're not hurting the environment and I'm confident that we're going to be able to use that carbon in a short amount of time to be able to use it again. Therefore, making when you take the whole cycle of this one kernel from that corn, that one kernel is going to be carbon negative now. So right. it's taking the waste from these manufacturing facilities right, that, and turning it into a liquid form. Correct. So we can transport it and use it in the future. Absolutely. So when we, we harvest it, we take it to the elevator, we go to the ethanol plant, ethanol plant gathers this car- carbon, 
and then this is then you store it yep. in the caves and and really and then, any heavy emitter mm-hmm. uh so whether it is uh fertilizer plants are also on part of of this list uh but you know any big manufacturing chemical plants any heavy carbon emitter and there's a lot of them this could be i mean this could be our way to be able to get our carbon out of the atmosphere and it's a win-win for everybody and especially the earth and especially the farmer what's the biggest challenge that you're facing in trying to educate and teach people this concept like i said they hear the word pipeline and like everybody gets crazy and uh you know i I think really just like what we've been talking about it's about educating it's about talking to folks and uh and it's it's getting showing folks how important this is uh, to both the environment, uh, to business, uh, to the future of, of fuel, to the future of corn, um, all kinds of, of levels. How have you had to change your positioning or, or even change your mindset to help influence others? Sometimes you get big opposition. And in, so how have in, you in that, that's where, that? you know, the, the polit- you know, I always say politics is a part of everything. As much as we try to keep politics yeah. out of everything, yeah. uh, it really also is a part of everything. So you've got uh, you've got certainly with the carbon sequestration, the the mission is to meet you know our particular goals by we've got goals by 2030, we've got goals by 2035, and and on. Uh, and so in order to meet these goals, this is a technology that we currently have that's currently being utilized. And we've got a lot of great investment going on through the Midwest and uh, of, from several different companies and several different projects uh, that are, work, are working really hard to, uh, to make this happen. And uh, it's, it's, it's got a bright future and it's, uh, it's especially good for the, for the ethanol plants of today and any other heavy emitter, they're never going to be able to meet these carbon standards. And so we've got to this sequestration is a way to be able to continue to do the things that we need, but make things safe for the environment as well. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is educating the people because mm-hmm. people look at, uh, you know, it's, it's set up the subsidy with the government, but a lot of people don't realize is what it the, what it's doing for our environment, what it's doing for our energy. Um, there's a lot of different opportunities with this. And you've got some wonderful people behind you that are starting to invest into this space. And I think if somebody wanted to um, get more knowledge or have an opportunity to invest in this space, is do you know a place where they could go, Eric? Well, you know, certainly I have always depended on Iowa Corn. Mm-hmm. They've got Craig Floss uh, and Mindy Polberg and their entire team at Iowa Corn has been doing this for a long time. And I know how much they care about Iowa farmers. And I know how hard they work for Iowa farmers. And so we're working with everybody. And, but they're a great resource as, as far as to, yeah. uh, you know, to get to know this. But what, what I have found, my mission with all of the presidential candidates you know, for this coming cycle is to get them. I want to take them to a plant. I want to take every single one of them to a plant. And I want to show them exactly what this is. I've done it with President Trump. We went to the Gallery plant outside of Fort Dodge. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just south of, of Fort Dodge back in 2006, actually 2015. And uh, I remember being in there and uh, he had just gotten Secret Service at the time. He had whatever surpassed whatever, uh, you know, requires Secret Service. So we're on this ethanol plant at a poet plant in Gary, Iowa, and uh, we're ready to go on the tour. And the Secret Service is like, no, 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 
we're not going on the tour. And uh, President Trump's like, oh, we're going on the tour. <laughs> He's like, I'll be okay. We're going on the, the tour. But that, you know, actually almost all of the candidates, except for Ted Cruz, got to an ethanol plant this, this last cycle or in, in 2015 and 16. And what's most important is just just getting, instead of like washing, you know, part of the problem that we have too with a lot of presidential candidates is just all of the DC lobbying and all of the politics going on there. When they actually get out and meet and talk to the farmers and they actually get out and visit the plant and talk to the people that work the plant and really see how this is done and what we do, it sells itself really does yeah anytime you get carbon out of the air yeah now when you get this carbon is there like you get 80 percent of it or is there a percentage amount that they get i'm i'm not i'm not the scientist to ask on on this but it, right. it truly is uh as far as technologies to get towards any kind of goals right. uh that we want to get to and and meet even with without not without shutting off electronics and gas powered and every other thing uh possible this is the way to do that. And I'm really, I'm really excited that it's in the Midwest. I'm really excited that I was a part of it. And I really see this uh, as far as being for the entire country, looking at the future uh, for the country and, and how we make, you know, how America leads again, like we are for the rest of the world. Yes, I think so too. I think it's a wonderful way of I was lead way and it helps everybody right. all over the United States. And, and I, you know, when we're talking about some of the environment folks talk to me about, um, you know, is America doing enough? What more can we do? You know, at the end of the day, if China and India do nothing, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, so we really have to be the leaders mm -hmm. uh, in this. And this is, I think, a valuable technology and an amazing industry, what we're about to see happen. I, I want to talk to our our audience, the achiever here for just a second. Yes. You know, listening to all of the exciting things that you're, you're, you're part of, what are a couple skills that you think influencers need to have? If we're to influence influencers out there, what, what are the top two skills that someone needs to possess? Discipline number one. You know, I, I'm one that I get up early. You know, I work out every morning at 5.30. I just am old school like that where that's what works for me. You, we all have to find out what what we each need, but that for me too, gives me time having a big family as I was, I've got four daughters <laughs> and, uh, so, and two dogs and two cats. So, uh, it's very important for me to, uh, to start out with that kind of discipline in, in all parts of my life. But, uh, and then, then past that, uh, I think networking is cliche. I think the term is cliche, but I think really building relationships, yep. especially in what you care about. And I would say too, my professors and my friends always told me, you want to invest in the things that you buy and that you mm. care about and the things that, uh, that matter to you. I think in the same realm, you want to get into things, uh, you know, if it's in your interests or your business or your hobbies, you want to really, uh, you know, go after it. And uh, so instead of networking, I would call it more uh, going towards what you're after and really learning and getting to know the people and the professionals and whether it's going to the conferences, uh, you know, once you get involved in, in the orbit, you grow with that. Absolutely. I love that language of building 
relationships and investing in what matters to you. Mm-hmm. That, that's excellent. So I want to challenge our, our listener, the achiever, to do that. Have great discipline, personal discipline, and build relationships. Invest in the things that you love and you care about. How, how do you balance your family? You got four daughters. You got two dogs, two cats. So I, how, how I do don't want. I don't want to show you my text from my <laughs> wife right now on <laughs> on the kind of trouble I'm in uh, there. So I'm probably not a good one to ask. No, it's you know it's like any uh, you know especially with uh, with a young family, but any young professional too. You know it's balance is difficult, and that you know I have to try to work on my balance every single day, making sure that my business and my family and my health and, you know, all of these things, if we, if one of those goes out of balance, then really at the end of the day, they all do. Right. And then nobody that balance is, is off. So it's, it's really finding that balance each and every day Mm. uh, to prioritize and divide the time so that, so that you're most valuable and especially to the people who depend on you. I, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Relationships, no doubt about it. Building relationships is key to your future. And, and, you know, I I was in a meeting this morning and they were talking about my, you know, uh, my dad and and President Xi. And, uh, and, you know, that relationship started in 1985. Yeah. And that was because he was he was staying at his friend's farm in Muscatine, Iowa. I mean, we had no idea who he would be or what he would become. But when you, when you treat everyone with respect, when you really do care about everyone's best interest, uh, and you're able to build it, you're able to build relationships like that. I mean, you never know if someday it might be the president of China <laughs> and you might be the governor, you might be the ambassador, you know, who knows? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a really small world like that. Perfect example of an influencer influencing influencers. His dad, Governor Terry Branstead, ambassador to China, builds a relationship 1985, and currently probably one of the only Americans that really has any contact with that president of China. <laughs> and I, I, I can say this personally, I'm thankful that that relationship's there because we need those types of relationships building. And uh, that's what you call an influencer. Absolutely. And uh, what a great job to you, your family, and uh, the Branstead. And, Terry, and I'm sure your dad's proud of you and all the work you've done. Well, and and what was really fun in 2016 was, you know, I guess going back to my SOB days, like I was always like, (laughs) you know, like wanting to do that. And then actually, you know, being able to campaign and do this alongside my dad was a ton of fun and certainly has made us, you know, closer than ever by far. Uh, That's wonderful. We're all about health, family and business. And uh, you're a perfect example of that, the whole Branstad family. But now another question where everybody wants to know. So President Trump's going to run again. And uh, how do you see that? I'm always his biggest fan. And, uh, you know, and I have so proud to have worked with, with him and for the administration. And we were able to accomplish, I think, the most amazing things of all time. I am excited for him to run again. I was at his announcement uh, at Mar-a-Lago in November. Uh, I talk to him often on the phone. You know, I'm going to be doing this, the biofuels, uh, you know, thing, you know, for at least through the caucus cycle. Uh, and I've already talked to him about, you know, wanting to do, and I, he depended on me, uh, you know, throughout his presidency. And I did several Oval Office meetings with 
with uh, Senator Grassley and Governor Reynolds all on this biofuels front. I want to continue to be um, helpful and uh, to him on that front, but yet I still yet need to talk to all of the other presidential candidates to teach them the same thing that I've taught President Trump and exactly what it means to Iowa and how important Iowa is. And as you both know, uh, Iowa is an amazing place mm -hmm. and we are yes. very proud to live here and be from here. And uh, it's the same thing that I, I want to do with the rest of the candidates. It's going to be a wild ride. Don't get me wrong. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be, uh, we've got a whole year yet. Yes. And, and, and we definitely need somebody in this biofuel space educating the public out there. And I, and I think you're a, a good example of somebody that can do that. And well, uh, we appreciate your uh, work on that. I can tell you that from people from Iowa and Midwest. Thank so. you. Absolutely. You know, our title is What's Your Ceiling? And is there a ceiling that you're trying to break through right now that something you have to learn, something you have to grow that uh, to get you through that to that next level? You know, I think, you know, the ceilings, I would say uh, my initial ceiling was and always kind of feeling like in my dad's shadow. Sure. Uh, you know, I think I, I think having gotten past that was my was my first ceiling, you know, certainly. And mm -hmm. just, you know, having always that in the back of my mind, you know, type thing and that you know, oh, I, they only like me because of my dad, not because of, of right. me or what I do or what I can bring to the table or my talents. And so that was my first ceiling. And, and now it's really fun being able to mentor and teach my kids, but also another kind of the next generation of folks. I had a gentleman come into my office yesterday and uh, he he works right near me. And I just saw him at an event a couple weeks ago and he came in and he's like, He's like, Eric, I really want to work with you. Uh, you know, do you have any opportunity? I was like, well, you know, I'm actually looking at a couple projects, you know, hiring come. He's like, he's like, I will work for free. I just want to. <laughs> I mean, so it's like when you start when you start mentoring people and you start teaching folks, it's really nice when they start coming and asking you and it feels it feels really good. Absolutely. That's great. It, that's that's something that's important is the achiever out there. Or anybody out there is to understand when you're around the right people, build the right relationships, it, getting paid is really not the big part of it. Because if you're around those type of people and what you can learn from them will help you get to that next ceiling and break those ceilings. And that's a good example. That young man that came to you to want to work for free, that's the type of guy that's going somewhere. Exactly. And he'll get paid double. The great example of what I, I gave before, if you want to do something and you know what you want to do, then you, you can, I mean, if you... Yes. All, all you need is a little spirit and a, a little want, and, and you can get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. The yes. American dream. It is. It's the American dream. Get up in the morning, go make it happen. <laughs> it's there. That's right. <laughs> Just a couple more comments. We, we always like to ask every one of our guests what you want to be known for. Mm -hmm. So as you think about that, what do you want your kids to remember you by? What do you want to be known for in the, in the world? Well, that's a great question. I, at the end of the day, I want to be – I just – want to be someone they can depend on and that they can trust. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, we all need that, you know, and certainly being the only, not that you have to be the only man in, in the house. I'm not like <laughs> sexist like that, yeah. but you know, I, I, I want to be the rock, you know, for my family. And I want to be, uh, I want my kids and my wife to be able to feel confident and good that, you know, the lights are on and there'll be, there's a ride to school and that, uh, you know, there's always someone there uh, for anything that they could ever need. That's wonderful. That's yeah. great. 
Absolutely. You know, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to contact well, you? Well, uh, Google. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, you know, Matchpoint Strategies is my public relations firm. Uh, and we've got a website, www.matchpointstrategies.com. And then uh, if you go to the website, my cell phone's on, on there too. I'm, I'm really, I've always tried to stay pretty easy to get a hold of. And uh, I was just showing some friends though yesterday, my my emails uh, at 123,000 <laughs> missed. So d- emails, not necessarily the perfect way. I would prefer you call me. And yeah. if, if you call me, I will always call you back within 24 hours guaranteed. That's also, that's also a, another you know, life lesson that actually Tom Barrick, who ran the inaugural committee, billionaire from California. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what his business was, but super disciplined guy, super amazing guy. And his rule, number one rule was just, you'll always be successful as long as you make sure you call someone back that same day. Absolutely. And uh, I've lived by that since I met him and he's totally right. It's just that those little small things that you can make a part of your life truly make the difference. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Eric, I really appreciate the conversation well, today. It's I, been a, been a great course, insight, you. very learning. Yes. What, were, what were some takeaways that you had, Paul? Well, build that relationship. I mean, that's where it's at. And uh, influencing people. You've done a lot of that, Eric. I've, I've got a number of things written down. Uh, I love it. Never burn bridges. Don't make enemies because you never know when it's going to be there. Play the long term. Life is about problem solving skills, how you deal with it, how you respond and how you fix it. I think that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic. And work on balance every day. You got to you got to have that that health in mind. You got to have the family in mind. You got to have the business in mind every single day. And and it takes discipline. That's for sure. It sure does. Wonderful. Well, thank you to our Achiever for joining us today. Keep up the great work. And uh, thank you again, Eric, for joining us. And have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to What's Your Ceiling? We hope this episode has helped you transform the way you think, understand your awareness, has given you new ideas, and has provided you a new perspective on how to push through your ceiling. Please take in a second to give us a thumbs up Each review helps us impact more people just like you making a difference in this world. See you next week on What's Your Ceiling?